Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome back. You're watching Luck on Sunday. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this week Abdul Musa Adam. Uh, Abdul was born in Sudan. He managed to escape warfare in Sudan, warfare that had claimed the majority of his family. He escaped northern Sudan, then to Chad, then to Colonel Gaddafi's Libya. He rejected the entreaties of the Libyan government to fight in the Libyan Children's Army and as such suffered persecution and torture from which he then escaped thanks to the uh, extraordinary kindness of a French doctor who was working at the time in that country. He ended up in what he believes to have been Marseille where he lived uh, rough until he was helped in Marseille by a man who took pity on him and he then found his way underneath a lorry to Swindon where he ended up. He then went through care system, the foster system. He found work with animals at the Greatwood Rehabilitation Centre and ultimately he has ended up with a job in horse racing working at Kingsclear with the Andrew Balding Racing Stable for whom he is enjoying an extraordinary and productive career. He has had dreams of being a jockey, whether those dreams are realised or not. He has come an incredibly long way in a remarkable journey, a journey that is being chronicled in a book to be released in April uh, with the assistance of journalist and author Roswin Jones, who has spent a lot of time in the Darfur area of Sudan and in Chad, where Abdul spent three years. Time for me to say a very good morning to Abdul Musa Adam and Roswin Jones. Thank you very much. You're welcome. For joining us. And thank you, Ros, for being with us as well. It, it's a remarkable story, Abdul, and, and one that I, I couldn't really do justice summing up, but one which you and Ros have done a brilliant job of, of explaining in your book. How are you now, and, and how are you enjoying the UK and, and Kingsclear? I am fine, thank you. Then I did enjoy Kingsclear, so I'm happy. You're happy now? Yes. One thing that strikes me reading your, your story is your connection with the animal, with animals. Tell me about where that started back in Sudan. Uh, my, farmer, my father, he has animals. We have cow, camel, horses. So a lot of animals we have. That's why I'm start animal. And you always felt comfortable around animals and yes. wanted to be with the, the animals? Yes, I've been with animals. I'm so happy. And this was a, a very difficult and challenging period in Sudan when, when you were growing up. Um, just tell me a little bit about the, the earliest days that you can remember of your, of your childhood. Uh, when I grew up, a little child, my father, he got a lot of animals, cow and camel and horses. I was six years old, my father tried to teach me how I'm riding horses and animals. So, then, happened really bad things in Sudan. Then, I um, ran away in Sudan, then with the child. So, now it starts animal again. 2016, start animal. Calling place, calling Great World. 
And so that was the first contact you'd had with horses. Yes. Since you'd, yeah. you'd left Sudan. Yeah. Uh, Ros, you're very familiar with the area of Sudan that, that Abdul is from. We saw a lot of news reporting of what was happening in Darfur, but I don't think we had any real understanding of the internecine warfare that was going on and, and how difficult it made it for families mm -hmm. like Abdul's. I mean, it's interesting at the moment, and I haven't had a chance to discuss this with Abdul, but um, uh, President Bashir, who was the president of Sudan, they've just said that he's, gonna, he's likely to go to the um, International Criminal Court at The Hague um, to stand trial for some of the crimes that were committed against families like Abdul's. Um, but during that time in Sudan, uh, when Abdul left, there was an incredible um, period of ethnic cleansing mm -hmm. uh, throughout Darfur, basically, and villages were just being decimated by um, helicopter gunships from the air, by the Janjaweed that would come on camels. They were just clearing huge areas, destroying villages, and obviously people like Abdul had no choice but to just walk off into the desert um, you know, the journey that the first journey that Abdul made in the desert was incredible to have survived. It was incredible to survive his own the attack on his own village, which unfortunately he's lost his mum and his dad and his sisters. He and his brother managed to escape to the border with Chad and then into the refugee camps there. But those refugee camps are like an absolute hell on earth. Really, they're they're nothing much more than a few sticks in the desert and some supplies of water, and there's about a million people that are marooned kind of along that border. So lots of people went to Libya, and that was, you know, just to try and get some work or just to try and not be a refugee in a camp for the rest of your life. So, I, I mean, for me, meeting Abdul's been one of the great privileges of my life, really. He's, he's an absolute inspiration to me. And initially, Abdul, you, you managed to escape with your, your younger brother, Yusuf, but you became parted along the way because you, being older, had to go and work and, and seek a, a way out, in a sense. Just tell me a little bit about, about Yusuf. Uh, I tried to escape with him. Uh, sometime, that time I was a child. I can't manage it. I'll present two present to me, one calling lady, calling Zainab. That's lady saying, I can look after your brother. Mm -hmm. You can stay other guy calling a boat. Yes. So a boat, I escaped with him in Libya because that would refugee come in the chart. Then it's, it's not too safety. Sometimes a refugee come is bombing as well. Then me and a boat, we left the chart, then we crossed the desert in Libya. Also in Libya, it's really awful time as well. It's Gaddafi bombing, me catching like a lot of difficult time than I prison in six, six, six months. They try to have been army enjoy. I say no. This is one of the most powerful parts of your story for me, and, and the story that you've you've written together. How old were you when when you went to Libya? Uh, I was 12 years old. You were still only 12 years old? Yeah. You'd lost your parents and other members of your family. You'd separated from your brother. Uh, I lost my parents. I was six years old. Yeah. So at age 12, you go to Libya and you... The refugee camp, uh, three years. Hmm. That and in, in Chad, 
and and Colonel Gaddafi's government eventually captured you and said to you, "We want you to become part of the child child army in Libya." And you had the strength of character. Yeah, because my my family had been really bad. I saw that this army led us in Gaddafi, so I think no, that's why. Because you'd seen what war had done to your family yes. at six, you rejected being a part of any militia or fighting force no. at the age of twelve. Yeah, and Ros, the consequences of that are incredibly, incredibly grave. Yes, I mean, I think the plight for Black Africans um, in Libya at that time, and actually that continues to now in the absolute chaos that's happening at the moment is almost horrendous because the rebel armies believe that most black Africans are mercenaries, so you're persecuted by that side. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, you know, the government troops are trying to uh, basically conscript black Africans to join their army so that people were just trapped in the middle. You were going to be persecuted by one side or the other. So, in fact, a bird who um, Abdul escaped with, he was really taken off in the end by rebels who mm-hmm. thought he was a conscript whereas Abdul was imprisoned and, you know, and tortured. And at the age of 12, in, in a prison, I mean, it's absolutely unthinkable, the things that happened to him there and the things that are going on in mm. torture centres in, in Libya now where we can't see into those prisons. You know, we don't know what's Nobody's got any idea, really, what's happening inside those places apart from... That's why the testimony of somebody like Abdul is so important and powerful. And it is incredibly powerful, having read it. And your strength, your mental strength, your strength of character is is quite extraordinary. Did you believe when you were in prison in, in Libya that you would es- escape, you would get out? Was there something inside you that that spurred you on? Or did you think, this is it, I'm done? Uh, I tried to escape. It's no choice for escape. Then, in prison, they beat me really hard. Then I'm really sick in hospital. Then, couple months in hospital, then open my eyes. I find this Russian doctors. So what happened? Everything you hear army hospital. Then I did tell my whole story. My past happened. My past happened. My family, everything. Then doctors say, okay, I can try help you. Then get out in hospital. Because that hospital is army hospital. Mm-hmm. Then after you're getting better, they return back to enjoy army again. Yes. So there was only one way out, and that was for somebody to find you and say, I can find you a way out. And that was what this yeah. this very kind Russian doctor did. Yeah. Then I said, how can help me? He said, I am a doctor. I can give you cleaning in hospital, clothes. Then calling a big bag, you know, back bean. So he disguised you as a cleaner, a hospital cleaner. Yeah. Then that cleaner go inside that bin. Then he taken out. Then I can put in my car boot, you know, back car. In the boot of the car. Yeah. So you you in a cleaner's uniform. Yeah. You ended up in a in a bin. Yeah. And then into the boot of a car. Yeah. And that's how you managed to escape the 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 hospital in. In Libya. in Libya, at the hospital you'd been in, yeah. because you'd been so badly beaten yeah. when you'd been imprisoned, because yeah, you wouldn't right. join the, the the children's army of of Gaddafi. Yeah. One thing that strikes me, Roz, is the kindness 
that punctuates Abdul's story amidst all the appalling inhumanity there are examples of kindness so Abud the man who showed yeah. you so much kindness yeah and then the Russian doctor yeah Abud and Russia doctor the Russia doctor they take me out so I said outside so I'm outside they check in the car he said no I am doctor no one check my car if check it if check it, I'm gonna die as well I, he said, I paid someone, so no problem. Oh. That he did help me. Then, about evening time, no, no really light and lamp things. So, okay, you free can go now. So, a boot and Russia doctor, that two things helped me. Then, out in the army hospital. So, they were your first two real yeah. guardian angels in that part of your life, if you like. And then you found yourself in France. Then on this boat to, to Marseille. Then, no. Then I went to mosque. Yes. Then I did play the mosque. Then I asked that some people find it. Some like I live in as well. I said that prison calling Sirt. My place is calling Gedabia. Different way places. Mm-hmm. Then how I can catch the bus. Then. I went to Basel to find this bus, driving about taking four hours between Gedavia to Sirt. Then I get in a bus, but I can't have a ticket, also can't have an identity card. I did lie to the bus. I said, I am a Libyan. Even I think African and Sudanese, they're not taking I, I got really asked, Libyan asked and a half. Okay, get in. I got in a bus, I find like uh, some gate, like police checking things. I say I'm a Libyan, no problem. Then I find the Jedavia. I find it a boot. A boot can't believe I'm come back to him. Because I left him six months. I never seen a boot. I'm always present every night beating very hard time. Then he paid up a bus. Uh how much cost I don't know, I can't remember long time ago. So and again Libya between as rebel and Gaddafi fighting. I went to mosque, I told that story. An imam in mosque saying, I can help you. Some, so many refugees, they went to France. How I can go to their place, Europe? So don't worry, stay with me, I can help you. Then he done help me, he done like some Red Cross, they told them, I came with them, France. So that's how you yeah. got to, to France. Yeah, and again, a, a motif is that you you reach every time you reach what you think is a safe place. There are dangers, so you go from Sudan to Chad, and as Rosa said, those camps in Chad are are really bad. Yes, then that's you right. go from Chad to Libya. You think you've reached almost a safe place. There couldn't be a less safe place. <laughs> you get from Libya to the port. You get from the port to Marseille. You think, well, you're in Europe. Do you think then you're in a safe place? Even I didn't believe I came in France. Then three hour, four hour, every day like, like gun, noisy, like banging. That's real. I can't believe myself. Then really peaceful. Then yeah, that's I am now. 
then I in France they come immigration like refugee like claiming like paperwork everything I don't know about claiming things then I have nice uh, summer clothes like African clothes go most come back sometime most you know, can't stay here anymore in night time place you stay I don't have money I stay in a park stay in France so you're a refugee but you have no refuge because no. you can't go to the mosque so you're sleeping in the park yeah and to keep yourself warm where yeah, do you sleep yeah in a bin like a you know a plastic bin so a big industrial bin yeah because France that time sometimes frozen and too cold so I have like so light clothes summer clothes and there's the only clothes you've got no you're frozen really bad then I stay that place I feel a little bit warmer so you're in the bin, but yeah. obviously the then bin already comes. Then happened about three week time. Then one night, so bin, uh, one lorry coming collecting the bin between two to three o'clock in the morning. So then I knocked them. I go inside lorry. Then I knocked them. Then they stopped them. Mm. Someone inside the bin. They are shouting really. Then call the police. Then ambulance, the fire then cut the lorry, like rubbish, everything inside, I mean too. Then ask my age, everything, I explained everything. Then... Just remind us how old you were at this point. Uh, that time I'm 13 years old. 13? Yeah. I was 13 years old. Then... So you can claim a paper, like an identity card, said no. Where do you come from? From Sudan. How often you come here? Nearly three weeks. Then I find it like two, two local in the morning. Then taking church, like uh, like please, you can stay this room. You can stay here. Like give me like two nationalities in the morning. I go to mosque. Night time come to church. Then find it places stay, no outside the street. Then... And so here's another kind person. Yes. You've, caught, you've found along the way. Yeah. The man who... In the church calling uh, Antonio. Calling. Speaks your language. Uh, that it translates. Or you can communicate. Yeah. Communicate, yeah. And he gives you a tuna sandwich every day. Yeah. Tuna sandwich. Will you still eat, will, you, will you eat a tuna sandwich now or not? <laughs> I eat now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. Still, but it, that was what you lived on, essentially. Yeah. For for that long, and he was the man who got you out. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't help me as well. Then he said, "Up the I'm going to England. You can to England. That here, yeah, France, not very good places. So you can study, you can more life, you can improve." I said, "How can I go there? The between England and sea." Oh, people go here, that lorry is coming there. I said, you can't pay for that. I said, no, I don't have any money. Nothing. How can I go there? Okay, don't worry. I can help you. Then, you see that lorry, yeah? You can see England flag, see? Yeah? I said, what do you mean England? England, this country is very peaceful. You can go there. You can study. You can life proof. How can I study? I've never been in college. I've never been in school in my life. So you can write and reading. They can teach you. You can prove your life. And he told me every day, every day, then 
I find the other guy. I said, this guy all the time told me like, what do you think? I said, got an idea. Can I help you? Then, okay, how can I go to the lorry? Then he teach me, how can people go inside the lorry? How can I go there? How can I climb in? Now, this isn't about getting in the back of a lorry. Yeah. This is about getting in the tiny bit above the wheel arch. Yeah. Or just up in behind the wheel arch. Uh, so you have to hold. Hold, yeah. The whole time. Hold it tight, yeah. Hold very tight. Then sometimes 45 minutes, they think. Between 45 minutes, you've been in England there. I said, just don't drop it. Just hold it. So underneath, you have wheel. Mm. You can sit in the wheel. You can tie it. That's calling uh, something in Loria. So how long did it take to get from Marseille to Swindon, holding on underneath the wheel arch? Uh, I think Loria stopped one place. He said, stay. This guy told me, stay two hours or three hours. Then come out. Mm. I said, okay. Then I can't hear a lot of noisy. A lot of stuff in one place. No noisy, very silent, very dark. He told me that sometimes go underground, see, you can't feel anything. He said, don't scared, stay there. That after underground, see, I can't feel anything. I think underground. About half an hour, probably. I'm not sure exactly. Then I come to England, Swindon, after underground, we're out. Lorry stop in the Swindon station. It's about 15 hours, isn't it, Ross? I think so, yeah. I think it would be that level of that level of journey, obviously with a few stops to refuel. or And Abdul had been told very wisely, don't get out. That's often how migrants are killed in that mm. circumstance, because the lorry starts to move again and you've got no control. So um, Abdul just stayed in through these various different stops, obviously under the Channel Tunnel. And then the sort of miracle of Abdul's story, really, that he came out in horse racing country mm. <laughs> in Wiltshire, you know, come, having come from a culture that reveres horses and has a lot of horse racing. And it's just like of all the places that he could have popped out of a lorry, like one that in the end has brought him into contact with horses has been amazing. And you just think how many people make that journey every day. Um, I mean, you talked about the kindness that Abdul was shown. Um, the foreword to our book is written by Lord Dubbs, who came mm -hmm. on the Kinder Transport um, uh, during World War II. And he, he talks in the foreword about how he came so differently from Abdul, and yet every refugee story is a story of kindness in the end. It's a story of horror, but it's always a, a story that somebody at some point was kind and helped you, otherwise you, you would not have survived. Um, the other point I, I wanted to make was, yes, it was hugely fortunate for, for us in the horse racing industry that Abdul landed in Swindon and loves horses and ended up at Greatwood and then with Nicky Evans and then back to, to Kingsclear. On the other hand, Abdul, when you, when you did arrive and you go through the processing of, of being a, a refugee and, and, and seeking asylum in, in this country, that wasn't easy either. And you were in a number of different homes in and around the Swindon area where you had to adapt to life in, in Britain. And that in itself was difficult, wasn't it? Yes. So everything happened to me. When I saw I can do something, I remember. 
I cry, I keep it in my mind. So, yeah, asylum seeker is not easy, very hard. How can get to improve your life? Mm. So, horses, I love horses very much. Because when I inside the yard, I was touching horses or riding horses. My memory, I thinking back home is Sudan. Always. I go inside, yeah, try touching horses or riding. I feel my back home. And so that takes you back to memories of your grandfather and, yeah. and, and your parents and those early days in, yeah. in Sudan. Yeah, that's right. So it gives you that connection. Yeah, that gives me powerful. Like, uh, feel, make me happy. Um, we've got some footage I think of Abdul riding and this was very early on Abdul wasn't mm -hmm. it this was with Nikki yeah just Evans <laughs> in Abergavenny yeah and how helpful was she oh she did help me a lot and this is just cut uh, three four years ago that about four years ago four years ago yeah 2016 and not long after this, you won the Daily Mirror Pride of Sport Awards. Yes. And I know you, you met Claire well, after then, Balding I went to Northern Racing College. Northern Racing College, yeah. Yeah. And, and tell me a little bit about your time there. Uh, North Racing College, I've been there four months. I normally stay uh, 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. Then my riding, not very good. I told the college manager, I said, can I stay another one more month? Then they say, okay, I will call uh, Annalisa in the building. Mm -hmm. I want to stay another one month more riding, proof riding. They say, Annalisa saying, okay, no problem. I stay one more, like four months, not racing in Casa. Then I come here in Newbury. Did you enjoy it, the Northern Racing College? Oh, I did a lot enjoy it. <laughs> it's very starting very hard. So I used to I enjoy it a lot because sometimes horses it's winter time, horses more fresh. More horses hard rider than get more riding proof more. Even when you fall off, it, it getting better. Because next day, how why you fall off, what happened to you, you know, you can understand. And did you start to feel like part of a part of something again? Did you start to feel like you were part of a, a family again a little bit? Uh, yes. As soon, I'm looking for my brother again. I'm still looking for. Yes. He's calling Yusuf. And this is, this is really now everything that drives you, yes, to look for your brother Yusuf. Yes. And just to go back, you became separated because you were the older. You were the elder. Yeah, I'm older, yeah. He's younger than me. And so it was considered that you could go further afield to, to work, to try with, with Abud, your family friend, who was your sort of guardian, to go into to, to Libya. Yes, I'm still looking for. Okay. Libya, the moment, not a very safe country. No. But I, now my memory, I'm thinking uh, Kenya, some refugees they live in Kenya, and Chad. So I'm still looking for. And I, you will never stop looking for him? No, I can't. Of course you can't. Um, 
Ros, you're obviously going to try and help Abdul as much as he can look for for Yusuf, and, and Abdul has obviously narrowed down areas where he might conceivably be. Mm. Given what this man has already done, far be it from me to say that this, this can't be done, because it clearly can be done. Yeah, absolutely, and I think we have to keep that hope alive, don't we, Abdul, to think that Yusuf might be there, maybe in writing this book people will hear about Yusuf, Musa Adam, um, how old would he be, Yusuf? Uh, 18. About 18, yeah. About 18. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he looks a lot like Abdul. He looks like me, absolutely. Look. That's why I wrote the book, because this book, this book is published. Mm-hmm. You can, I wrote a book, you can address my number, my Facebook, everything. They can go to the villages and countries. Maybe this book, that's why I'm writing this book. So this book helpful. So many refugees, different countries. Some refugees in the villages, some villages can go uh, Red Cross. So that's why she does, Rose helped me about this book and Philip. And, and the day of Abdul's citizenship ceremony, um, just the day in Swindon we went and Abdul was becoming a British citizen. That day was the same day all of those migrants died in a lorry in um, Essex. So it was, the, it was that morning. So you're always aware that these stories can end in two ways. They can end mm-hmm. as, as Abdul's story has ended or they can end in just horrific tragedy. And I think we have to think as a country, how do we, how do we deal with refugees and especially child refugees, which at the moment we seem to be tightening up on child refugees coming to the country instead mm-hmm. of... Um, maybe welcoming people. There's only, in the country, there's only 0.1% refugees or something. It's, it's a tiny minority of our population, and I think Abdul's story shows that a lot of, bit of humanity goes a long way. And you have been shown those examples of, of, of humanity along the way, but you yourself must have extraordinary belief and extraordinary belief in your own ability to survive all, all of what's happened to you. Do, you. do you believe in your heart that your brother Yusuf shares that, shares what you have? And is that what is making you believe that he could end up being in the position that you're in? Yes, I do believe that things. Sometimes uh, he absolutely looked like me. Very hard worker. I know him because he was young. We look after animal. He like four years old. Like uh, horses too bigger. I'm six years old. He tired. I can't carry up. Sheep according to sheep. She can sheep can walk. You know what I mean. He worked very hard. Sometimes uh, get like adopted. Very hard. Mm-hmm. Find it because they sometimes adopted they changing names. That is hard. I can't believe I can find it one day. And as you say, he looks just like you. You say he is very similar, and people from that area, Roz, from where. Abdul and Yusuf were originally from, there would be connections running through, wouldn't there? Yes, I think I think there would. And there was generally 
within sort of displaced Darfuri communities, um, you know, there are there are obviously connections. I mean, Chad is one of the biggest countries on earth. <laughs> it's yeah. absolutely enormous, and it's definitely a needle in a haystack to to try to find somebody there. Yeah. But but we're we're hoping, and it, it may be that Yusuf got taken off to Germany or Holland or. <laughs> You know, was part of one of those refugee airlifts, so he could literally be anywhere. I'm gonna say, if anyone can, you can. I think on on what I've heard so far. How much? How much has it have affected you positively meeting Abdul, given your own experience as a writer and journalist in that part of Africa? I think. I mean, I work from that in that part of Africa for probably about five years on and off in, in different bits of it, um, from Rwanda, Sudan, like um, Chad, all sorts of different countries, Kenya. Um, and it had quite a traumatic effect on me, as I think it does on many journalists when you're kind of covering famines and wars and all these sorts of things. But I guess... You know, it's not my family, so it's, I, I can't imagine how horrendous it must be to mm. witness some of the things that I've witnessed, but for that to be my family or my people or my village or... so. It's, but I think the way working together on the book over the last couple of years has been therapeutic in some ways for both of us, I think, that we've talked about a lot of mm. experiences that we've shared and thought about a lot of the places and and quite often we have just talked about the food or what the light is like or kind of you know silly things about Africa and and that's been a really nice part of the process too because I think we both love Africa don't we yes and still still the the animal gives you that connection with with your homeland do you have do you have Ambitions for yourself as well now in your in your life here in in Britain. Can you repeat again, please? Do you what what do you what do you hope for 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 you for riding racing uh, your life here? Really good. I racing, riding, take horses for racing as well. So more riding. So usually we have a uh, five o'clock every morning. We start six o'clock in the morning. Then six o'clock we start working seven. By six o'clock you start having breakfast before you can change your clothes as well. You're ready for work. Then finishing half past twelve. Now we got six o'clock. Start the more horses. After I go riding, I feel more happy mm. than. Just I thump so many things I thinking how can I find this? That's my brother Yusuf. So I feel like that is my home now. Because more country this country most peaceful for everyone. It's been um it's been a real pleasure to meet you. Yes. And I hope that we in our tiny, tiny little way can uh make sure that your face and name are pushed as widely as possible so that as many people as possible see you and who knows one of those people may know someone who knows someone who who knows Yusuf and that's what we all we all hope for for you and and 
I think we're very fortunate to to have you with us working in in horse racing as as well. And I'm sure you'd agree, Ros. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I think you know the kindness shown by obviously Annalisa and Andrew Balding, by Ira, um, Abdul's amazing stepmom and Philip, and you know has just it's been amazing. And just for for Abdul to have that routine, the physical work. They're just knowing when things are happening. Like all of that stuff is in, is a really important part of Abdul's recovery, and the fact that he's contributing so much is kind of goes against that narrative that we see about refugees that they're scroungers or they're but you know nobody. Few people work as hard as Abdul. I would say I don't think I do. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Ekruel, Dubai.